electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York's Times Square. This is Fast Money. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. And once again, for Melissa Lee and your traders on the desk tonight are Mr. Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, a wild ride on Wall Street. All three major indexes setting new intraday records before they pulled back on some trade headlines. What can we expect when phase one of the deal is finally signed tomorrow? Is it more gains or new pains? We'll take you live to Washington. Plus, Check out Bitcoin. Remember Bitcoin? Surging more than 7% today. BK has what's behind the big run. And can you folks name today's mystery chart? Okay, we're going to make it easy. This stock hitting the rare century mark. That's right, a 100-year high for this company. Any guesses? Send them in on our Twitter feed. We're going to reveal the answer a little bit later on in the program. All right, all that ahead. But we begin right here. With what some are starting to worry could be IPOs gone wild, check out the monster move in some of these recently public names. Beyond Meat, Smile Direct, Uber, up double digits this year. In fact, Smile Direct up 34%, Uber up 17%, Beyond Meat up 55%, and we're only nine trading days into 2020. Now, many of these names are still well off their all-time or IPO highs. So is the recent rally too far too fast? And if so... Which guy, Dami, of those names, if you had to pick one of those names that we showed, would you say this is the worst and most egregious example of momentum gone amok? Well, I mean, the most egregious momentum example out of those names, gone momentum amok. gone amok. I mean, Beyond Meat, I think, is fascinating to me. I mean, the stock went from 75, seemingly the current levels in a straight line. But it's also off from that $240 level that we saw, I don't know, back in July. So I don't know if it's necessarily run amok. To your point, they're still well off the highs. I think the bigger picture or sort of the broader theme here is we spent a lot of time talking about WeWork a few months ago. And it's not that it's that particularly interesting, but I think one of the many unintended consequences of central banks, specifically our Fed, is they've made people lazy. They made investors lazy. And what do you need to know? Well, SoftBank was supposed to be the greatest investors on the planet. They invested at WeWork at a $47.5 billion valuation, and that's now 80% less. If that were a publicly traded company, we'd talk about it every day. Now it seems to be happening in publicly traded companies. I think that's a reason for concern. I don't think, you know, it's necessarily the red flag, but it's one of many red flags. Well, I, I agree on the Fed uh, analog. And if you think about where we were a year ago, we were actually pricing in, uh, if you looked at the forward curve, three Fed hikes uh, and continued unwind of the Fed balance sheet. Well, we did exactly the opposite in 2019. We got three cuts and we essentially, by the end of the year, added $400 billion to the Fed balance sheet. That, to me, is, is essentially what Guy is talking about. This is the manifestation of that. Um, I don't think every one of these companies can be painted with that brush. And if I had to take one of those companies that I actually think is kind of interesting, uh, I think it's Luckin. And, and I think it is based upon, uh, obviously, they are the opportunity to be Starbucks in China. You probably know this metaphor. Um, we talked about this 
this last week, Karen. Remember, they did a convert issuance, and the stock got killed after that. And some of the biggest hedge funds in the world are in this name. Uh, so do you want to be buying, essentially, their convert, except for the fact that I do think these guys are taking market share, and I do think they are competing locally. I, That's I, a growth story I like. I think, Karen, the point of this exercise is that Maybe all these names are great. Now, they were ignored, many of them, or sold at their IPO. So something either fundamentally has changed with the story in the past three weeks, or this is just algos and hedge funds and high-frequency traders riding the tape until they can't anymore. I think that is the main thing driving it, though. But one thing most of these stocks, if not all of them, have in common is big short interest, right? So that just starts a sort of a virtuous or vicious cycle, depending on if you're long or short, of, of buying. So, you know, you look at, like, Beyond Meat, 25%. Smile Direct, which to me is the most volatile, um, 56% short interest. So By that the way, really... sorry. Guy, I need to apologize to you because the last time we talked about Smile Direct, I suggested you might benefit from the product. <laughs> and I got a lot of t- nasty Twitters. And, and, and I, I, I was, said I back that, unfair. you know, I grew up in northern Westchester, not southern Westchester like you. We didn't have the funds for orthodontists, and you were making fun of me. I have feelings, too. I just wanted to. But that's okay. I'm glad you guys figured it out. Let's bring it back in, Karen. A couple of things about Smile Direct. Yes, it's been on a tear for the last week. They've had some really good news with Walmart and now and now wholesale to orthodontists. That's actually big news. But remember, this stock was 20, I don't know, four or five. And now it's 1170 something after a huge run. So, I mean, some of these are just gaining share, gaining Price back. The point is, yeah. they had news. Smile Direct BK yeah. had some news that they're going to sell through orthodontists, which, by the way, right. was their entire unmodel. I mean, right. is that a word? Like, the whole model was don't yeah. sell through Now we're like, everyone well, sell through orthodontists. Yeah. But at least they had news. Many of these other names are just trading on it's, no it's, news. Well, and it's the short interest. In my view, it's the short interest. That, right? will, run you get, that will run out. That will run out. And cover, so everyone covers. I think you take this list of stocks and put it up there and say, when the market starts to turn over, these are the ones you either want to short or you want to sell. Smile Direct being number one on the club. I mean, Why think, is that? Well, primarily, you think about dentistry and cosmetic dentistry. That is the first thing you're going to cut out. If for some reason there's a recession or your paycheck's cut or you're not making the kind of money that you used to make, the first thing you do is cut out your cosmetic dentistry, whether you need it or not. So that's number one on my list to short. I'm not doing it now because of the 56% short interest. This thing could still keep running. You could still get blown out. Yeah, you could still get killed. Tim, would you agree this is not the time? If you're thinking, I don't like Beyond Meat, I don't like Smile Direct, I don't like Luckin, this is not the time to short these names. Well, I think you, you can have a plan, and you can certainly take uh, exposure on the option market. I think you can measure your risk, and I think if the valuation is, is absurd, I think you, you, you don't necessarily need to put it all on today. That You can leg into the trade. Um, I, I will just say that if you remember back, it was only October when high multiple story stocks structurally unprofitable were the last thing you wanted to own. Uh, it was not that long ago we were having this exact conversation in reverse. We will get back there. It doesn't mean that these are all bad companies. It's going to come back to valuations. And the market, when we're in a risk-off environment, these will be the first to go. Yeah, I could throw two more names on here, Guy Adami. Occidental Petroleum, down 28% over 12 months, up 14% this year. I could throw in L Brands, 
down 24% over 12 months. Those are different, Up 10.5% this year. Uh, sorry, Guy. No, no but, but, they, but, but I don't they, know. No, no jump in. I don't know what has changed with those names. They're, they are, they're different, but they're very similar in that there's been, store, there's been news out with Brand specifically. And, and a quick, I'd like to go off the board for 500, if I may, in this conversation. But, you know, we didn't mention Lyft in this conversation, but I think Lyft is much different than Uber. That's a company with a pathway to profitability. The last two quarters have been good. They report in a couple weeks. You've had this stealth rally in Lyft. I think this is a name. I don't think it's going to get back to that $63 level that we saw over the summer, but I think it's destined to trade in the low 50s, and percentage-wise, that's a big move. Quickly, though, Brian, I mean, you're someone that spends a lot of time focused on energy. I think the turnaround in Oxy is really all about a reassessment of the energy sector in terms of the bottom-up fundamentals, companies being run for equity investors again, the fact that we're seeing energy prices and commodity prices, CRB, Rhine, things that are actually starting to accelerate after years of basing. I think the energy sector is very different. I think a good lesson here, though, is you, you want to own a stock, go to a CNBC.com and check out the short interest. You should always know what the short interest is in a name that you own. All right. Agreed. Let's talk more now about these monster moves in the market and what is sort of happening underneath the hood. Chad Morganlander, Senior Portfolio Manager at Washington Crossing Advisors and a value investor. And you've got to be, as a value Uh-oh. guy, right. watching this tape, watching those names and wondering, well, all- what... Everyone here has been quite cautious in telling investors to shy away from a lot of the speculative excess. Talking about the Federal Reserve lowering rates and being too accommodative. If you raised rates by 100 basis points or the 10-year went up by 150 basis points, that group of names we just spoke about would be vastly different. The valuations would be vastly different. So I think I, you know, I want to I give credit to the team here and to the other traders around this desk because the easiest thing to do would be to say, get on that momentum train, etch, maybe you leave a little on the table, but these are risky trades, are they not, Chad? Absolutely, and that's what uh, we would caution at this point. Okay, momentum right now is in style for the time being, but the re- reality is that investors should now be pivoting their portfolio to more quality companies that are consistently growing, consistently profitable, that don't have a lot of debt on their balance sheet, that have proven track records over the last five and ten years. A lot of the story stocks, I'm telling you, when you get the Federal Reserve repivoting or global growth that disappoints, a lot of the multiples are going to come down quite a bit. So when you think about value, how do you define that? Is that something cheaper than its own history, something cheaper than the S&P multiple? How do you think about it? So that's a great question. Uh, we're thinking about value and quality. So we don't mind paying up for a quality company like a Hormel or like a Starbucks. But as an investor, one should focus their attention not on, only on the P.E. multiple, but all the debt that's on the balance sheet. Really look at the company as if you're a private equity firm and, and give a cautious view to everything. So you want companies that are diversified from a product line perspective, from a client perspective, and are reinvesting back into their business. And a lot of these companies, what they're doing is they're taking on debt and they're buying back stock. Chad, every night we come in, we try to paint sort of the cautionary tale. From time to time, we try to speak about the market, but you know, the market, the performance is the ultimate judge and jury. In your position, how difficult it is to watch the market go up every day, yet stick to your knitting and talk to, to, to your clients in an environment where, again, the market just seems to go up regardless. So our colleague, my colleague, Kevin Caron, my partner, and I uh, have run a rising dividend strategy and we're fully invested, uh, rising dividend stocks under this type of discipline has, have participated in the market upside relative to the value index, but also, you know, in relative to the S&P 500. So 
you could buy companies like this and participate in the upside. You're not leaving anything on the table. The story is what happens when you get a market dislocation or a credit dislocation. When you have high debt companies and you get a credit dislocation, that's when it becomes quite vicious. Look at some of these good quality blue chip companies that had a huge amount of debt on their balance sheet. You see where a lot of them are now. So that's what one we recommend on the equity side. Quality rising dividend companies. So uh, you, you, banks, as far as the, the outlook on a sector for banks that reported today, Karen's question about banks relative to themselves and relative to the S&P, you can make an argument banks are not cheap relative to themselves, um, but they are cheap relative to the S&P, and they're showing earnings momentum. What do you do with banks on a day when, obviously, they've made a lot of money as, a, as if you've been an investor in the last six months, but... Where, where do we go? So right now we have a neutral weighting on banks. Uh, the bank story for us is all about the curve. Uh, we believe that maybe you get a marginal uh, 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 t- type of move within the curve where the 10-year bond perhaps goes to 2%. But that's going to be the story over the next 18 to 24 months. I know that right now it's about the Federal Reserve. Uh, they've given a little bit of push on the speculative excess side. That's given a push to uh, financials. But we are right now neutral. All right, Chad Morganlander, good stuff. Cautionary words, smart words, Chad. We appreciate your views. Thank you very much. Uh, Karen, quickly, I want to ask you about the banks. Three big numbers today. Yes. We got some more this week. Were you happy with what you saw today? Uh, well, yes, I was very happy. Yes. I mean, J.P. Morgan, Even the bar was very high. No, I don't own Wells Fargo, so I guess as a non-holder, that was fine. Good for you. Right. I think, you know, J.P. Morgan, the bar was high, and they exceeded it nicely, which was hard to do. And so what do you think about also, Jamie Dimon as a CEO, as a human? I think he's fantastic. Love Jamie Dimon. Yes, he was. He was on the call. Didn't talk as much as he normally does. Maybe he's out at the healthcare conference. It was I don't know what time in the morning there. But I mean, he's an extraordinary CEO. I did say that. Uh, I did see the the five years again until he retires. The rolling five years. And you say. invest yes. in J.P. Morgan. You, you 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 put a call option on Jamie Dimon, effectively. A call. I mean, I think there's you, upside as long to as Jamie he's there, Dimon. The you're as long <laughs> as he's there, own the stock. I, yes, I actually think he's, he's an extraordinary CEO. It deserves a premium. They've done an outstanding job for years. So the one thing that we talked about with the banks last week and Chad alluded to a bit, when you're talking about the banks, the yield curve being as flat as it is, is really bad for the regional banks. And that's why a lot of the small caps have not performed. So when you're looking at the banks, you may want to go something with a big cap like a J.P. Morgan who has that diversity. The reason why they beat so, so well uh, was because of their their trading arm, their fixed income commodities and currencies. A lot of the regional banks don't have that lever to pull, so you really want to be concentrated if you're in the banking side. I thought you were going to surprise me like he was here. Like, you really like Jamie Dimon, right? Karen Feinerman, guess what? (laughs) Once again, I have failed. (laughs) I hope to someday surprise you in that way. I'll bring in Johnny Dimon. I will find some guy. (laughs) All right, coming up. FedEx and Amazon have kissed and made up. Why the companies are getting back together and what it means for each of those stocks. A big deal, folks. Plus, two competing calls on Apple as the tech giant gets ready to jump on the 5G train. Will the technology really be the kind of catalyst that many people are talking about? We'll talk about it. As always, you can watch us live while you're on the go anywhere on the CNBC app. If you haven't downloaded it, do it now. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Ah, there it is. Perfect. There it is. Welcome back. We're not playing this song just because it's Tim's favorite on the way home on the one in the yeah, nine train. No doubt. It's because this is actually a relevant story to the markets and your money, particularly for FedEx investors. Amazon has reunited with FedEx, lifting its ground delivery ban on the company. Amazon told third-party sellers to stop using FedEx over the holidays, citing poor performance. FedEx today, though, gaining about 2% on that reversal Short-term thing, though, Guy, or I maybe so. a real mending between the two? Well, it's a clearly a mending, but I think the FedEx problems are still very FedEx-specific. I mean, they've shot themselves in the foot now for the last 18 months. Remember, this is a stock that topped out, I think, in early 2018, and since then it's made a series of lower lows and lower highs. It culminated, by the way, and we talked about it on this show, with a Bernstein downgrade where they basically rang the bell, and we discussed it that night. The move has been stark to the upside, but I think it's probably gotten ahead of itself. If you're asking me, which you just did, I'm more inclined to take profits here, despite valuation, than I am to get into a new position. Well, in FedEx, so the question is, uh, part of it has been management, and is Fred Smith ready to step aside? And I think there's been some speculation that some of that may be slowly beginning, because this is once the great... One of the great CEOs out there, to be clear. Um, but I think the way the company's handled the last four quarters is something where people have certainly lost some interest. Yes, there's been trade wars, but there's been integration at TNT. There's been a lot of issues in terms of which business segments they've gone after. Uh, looking at the charts on this, and I am long, I'm long FedEx where uh, trough multiple hasn't meant anything. Trough multiple has been for a reason, I guess. Um, but the breakout on the charts here, uh, above the 200, at T's there, it's been playing this game. Uh, and I think there's, if you look at the institutional ownership of the stock, it is under-owned. Okay. Well, from the roads to the skies and shells of Delta Airlines hired today after a blowout quarter. The company says that lower fuel prices and a surge in demand helping drive the big beat. And we heard from Delta CEO earlier today on CNBC. Here's his take on the record quarter. The demand was really healthy. It was, it was a strong holiday period. And as a result of that, we were able to take you know, revenues, grow revenues, grow our, our capacity, particularly domestically. And we uh, delivered great results, which we see going into 2020 as well. All right. So, Karen, you're big in the airline yep. space. You've been talking about Delta. You must, the market responded. You must like the results. Yeah. I mean, they were very impressive. And I think the street wasn't really expecting anything so great. And um, premium revenue business class, I mean, those are really high margin dollars when they can sell those seats that way. And so they did a great job there. I, I think that... The stock's not expensive here. It's probably cheaper today here up a few percent that, with this information and their outlook than it was yesterday. So I still like it, hanging on to it. I think that's interesting because, you know, you don't usually see a stock that's up that becomes cheaper. For me, when I look at it, $65 looks like decent resistance. So we've come, we've run from $50 up here to 11 bucks. I would wait a bit and let it prove out, right? These are, this is information that happened over the holiday period. Things are great. What's the outlook going to be? I think you can wait a couple weeks and see how this stock trades and even wait for that breakout above 65 because once it does that, then it's off to the races. Okay. You can catch our full exclusive interview with Delta CEO Ed Bastian on our website, CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else we have coming up on Fast. Former Home Depot CEO Bob Nardelli has some thoughts on the state of the U.S. economy and consumer. He'll give us the lowdown on what he's seeing. 
Plus, are pot stocks going to keep their recent highs going? What you should expect from the group this earnings season. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. It was kind of a wild day on Wall Street. Here's the thing. We started lower on the S&P 500, started climbing, went up. Of course, we're on record highs. So every time you go up, you're going to be a new intraday high. Then we had headlines crossing that perhaps the tariffs were going to stay on even after tomorrow's signing of the so-called phase one deal. Those tariffs might stay on through the election. Then people began to realize, as we talked about on the air on Power Lunch and Jim Cramer chimed in, that was already known. Nobody expected those tariffs to stay on. But yet that market, while some people maybe searched for the answer and the algos got a hold of it, guys, sent the market down 150 points of the Dow in about 12 or 15 minutes. I mean, so it kind of shows you, I think, that move, how sensitive, Tim, we might be to any headline given the moves, given the valuation. Pick your Yogi Berra on this one. I mean, it's deja vu all over again. And we, we have been through this over and over again, and we've kind of chuckled at how creating uh, tension has actually allowed the market to move higher on not necessarily ever getting anything back. Um, maybe genius, by the way. Um, ultimately, uh, as we talk about often, when we get to the core of what the trade conflict is about, it, 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 it's seemingly mostly about IP uh, and seemingly most about protection of, of, uh, uh, of the technology and control of the Internet 2020 and the next 100 years. Um, I, I do think when people have been looking at the impact on the economy, the good news is, and we've had a lot of economists that have been on this show and certainly strategists, but the guys that are looking at the leading economic indicators and the impact um, is, are, are basically saying nothing. It's all good. Okay, good stuff there. Now, Let's talk about this phase one deal, because the big day is tomorrow. The United States and China will close the first chapter of this trade fight with this signing of the phase one deal. Let's go now to Kayla Tausche, who is in Washington, with more on what we can expect. And Kayla, what may or may not be in it? Well, Brian, we're expecting the entirety of that deal will be made public tomorrow after the signing. When the U.S. and China sign the phase one deal, there will be a ceremony tomorrow at the White House, but it will not be accompanied by news of any additional tariff rollbacks 
other than what has already been decided. In a statement provided by Ambassador Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, the statement says there are no other oral or written agreements between the United States and China on these matters, and there is no agreement for future reduction in tariffs. Any rumors to the contrary are categorically false. Now, that's raised new concerns about the long-term impact of tariffs on business investment and the economy, even though the White House's position has always been the tariffs are on until they're not. The question now is what happens between January and November? President Trump has said he will be traveling to Beijing at a later date, according to this tweet on December 31st, to start those talks on phase two. But two outside advisors to the White House suggest that trip is likely to happen in the fall to generate some positive pre-election momentum in the U.S. economy. And the, as the president headlines a Milwaukee rally this evening, the delegations will dine in the executive office building here in Washington before a midday event in the East Room tomorrow that's being billed as the most formal and large-scale ceremony since the nomination of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, which took place against the same backdrop. Hundreds of attendees ranging from CEOs to farmers to Republican lawmakers will be present. But as impeachment proceedings develop on Capitol Hill, Brian, no Democrats have been invited, but it will be standing room only, I'm told by a senior administration official. All right, Kayla Tausche, thank you very much. Tomorrow, certainly a big day. We're going to hear more about phase one of the trade deal twice tomorrow on CNBC and interviews you cannot afford to miss. Number one, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, he will join the gang on Squawk Box. And then later on in the morning, you'll hear from Larry Kudlow. He will be on Squawk on the street. So how can we expect the markets and maybe the economy to react? Let's bring in a guy who knows, Bob Nardelli former CEO of Home Depot, Chrysler, and GE Power Systems and Transportation, among other things. Bob, it's great to have you on on a day like this. Thank you. It's great so to we, be here. So we had this uncertainty around trade and tariffs with the signing of the Phase 1. Okay? You've been a CEO. Yep. Still on boards. Is the uncertainty over, or has it pretty much stayed the same despite what we expect tomorrow? No, you know what, what I'm hearing from my colleagues, both big and small corporations, is they really are adapting to the certainty of uncertainty. We talked earlier about social media and the impact it's having on the market. We talked about uh, the political, geopolitical, Iran. We talk about the tariff situation here. So I think uh, corporations today, again, big and small, are taking more control over their destiny. And I don't want to say ignoring the market, but certainly doing capital allocations, certainly looking at uh, areas of growth, Today, they have to innovate or they'll evaporate. So we're seeing much more money in trying to avoid being disrupted. So I'm, I'm really you know, excited about 2020 and what I'm seeing both in the private equity side, a lot of the companies we have in the family office, and certainly some of the public tradings that we talked about here today. You, know, I, I, you were talking about uh, Delta, and I think Ed is doing a fabulous job. It's probably the best airline out there. You know, his assets doesn't have a Boeing problem. He does not have a Boeing problem. His assets are strong. The capital reallocation, you know, certainly look at LaGuardia and what he's doing there. And what as I go around, I do about 200 nights a year on the road, primarily with Delta. And wherever you go, he is upgrading, cleaning and improving the the comfort in the travel for the, for the traveler. Doing a great job. Can I ask a question? When you talk about being um, flexible and um, transforming themselves, is that a a balance sheet issue of having capital, or is it a supply chain issue of not being, you know, beholden to whatever the China-U.S. situation is? What are they doing? Yeah, so there's no question. I mean, you talked about Jamie Dimon, and, you know, Jamie got a lot of criticism out of the business uh, roundtable 
doctrine that came out. Everybody said, you know, boy, you've reduced the importance of profitability. See, that's when people think vertically about priorities. I kind of think horizontally, that it's both stakeholders and, and investors, you, you know, the, the financial investors. If you take care of the stakeholders, the employees, the communities in which we're privileged to live and work, it's going to have a positive impact on the business, and therefore the investors are going to benefit from that. So that, that's number one. I, I think number two, you know, people are looking at supply chain. We have a bunch of companies in the family office, and we're being inundated by companies that are not in China trying to get out of China. We have a, a company that does, you know, contract board manufacturing, electronic board manufacturing. We've got plants in Vietnam. We've got a bunch in the United States. And we're being asked continuously, how fast can you get us up? What, can you, what kind of volume? We've done five bolt-ons this year uh, in response to demand and volume out there. So I think corporations are understanding the importance of, of supply chain. You look at the big box, right? When, the, when we had the issue with China, the impact on potential tariffs brought those stocks down. You look today, they're kind of back up with that news. So whether it's Home Depot or Lowe's or some of the big box Menards, you're seeing some positive impact on it. So, Bob, you mentioned the geopolitical and you're talking about supply chain. If you're an if you're a CEO or an investor like you are now, are you looking to invest in the U.S. or is it still a global playing field? Well, I think you still have to think locally and act globally. Right. That's the old saying I got from my mentor, Jack Welch. So I think but you have to pick your spots. You know, you have to be smart about the markets you're going into. And, and you've you got to be careful. If you're not going to like parts of the legalities or the governments and so forth, you, this is not something you move in and move out of. So you have to be forward-looking, look at the environments and where you're putting assets down and make sure you're there for the long haul. These aren't something that you put on a barge and you move the factory to the lowest-cost areas. Bob, Senator, tonight we have a Democratic debate. Senator Sanders, is, he's really made some incredible strides over the last few weeks. Is he an exogenous event for the stock market, his potential candidacy for president? Yeah. Well, I don't like to talk about particular candidates at this point. It's a little bit early. <clears throat> I, I think that, um, you know, we have to see how, you know, the independent, if you will, Bloomberg plays out in this thing and what kind of reaction he'll get. If he spends a billion dollars, can you really buy those votes? Or is the issue of the, of the major, you know, the center, which is going to be, predominantly influencing the next election, where does he come out on, on that more than some of the other candidates you mentioned? I think. Best guess for the economy this year, very quickly, Bob? Recession so I, or no? No, I don't think there's a recession. I think uh, we'll see a GDP between 2 to 3%. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think not it's great. Gonna, not Far great. Recession. But, but it's pretty darn good coming off 2019, isn't it? I mean, if you're running a company and you're, you've been up 20% last year, another 2 to 3% on 20 is pretty darn good. So I, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, GDP is 70 percent uh, consumers. Consumers are strong, thank God, right? And, and we're seeing, you know, real solid aspirational desires of our consumer. Sure, there's some, we mentioned earlier, there's some retailers that aren't doing so well. But on balance, a lot of them are doing well. And I think it's a combination of what I'll call bricks and clicks. And if you want immediate gratification, you're probably going to try to get it online. If they can't deliver it within hours, you're going to go to a retail store and get it. So the optionality there, you know, the omni-channel approach is pretty effective right now. And I think companies realize that. And, you know, I just went through a doctoral uh, process with one of the major retailers on how they're looking at price, how they're looking at delivery, how they're looking at family formation, household income, and looking at where they put these stores and the locations and what kind of SKUs they're offering online, the, the plethora of SKUs versus, 
you know, what's representative in the store. Retail is really getting smart. You know, the old days, cash was king. Right now, I think they have a partner. It's called artificial intelligence. People are no longer making just gut decisions. They're making data-driven decisions, and that's why we're seeing really better performance. So, thank you. Good. It's like oil. You don't, drive many, you don't drill many dry holes anymore. Bob Nardelli, great yeah. to have you on. Thank as always. you. It's great to get your viewpoints. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Happy New Bob. Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Karen, if he's right, 2 to 3%, how do you invest around that? It's pretty good. I think he'd be long, right? <laughs> that's it. Stay long and strong. Stay long and buy protection, right? Yeah. Volatility. I mean, the VIX today on that one headline went up 15% in a minute. It just gives you a sense of how sensitive you're talking so about. It is a bit of a yeah. jumpy market, yeah. it feels that way, which tells me maybe, Guy Dime, it's a little price to perfection. Well, that's what Jim spoke to you about during your show, I think, at, on Power Lunch, if I'm not mistaken. So Jim made a good point. If you recall, when he was speaking to Mark, that was down some 40 points, turned around, it was up 60. I think Jim assuaged a lot of the concerns out there. But to your point, people have their finger on the trigger, and I think for a lot of reasons, for good reason. Guy, thank you. All right, coming up. A tale of two apples. You may say it's the best of times, and one may say it's the worst of times and slaps a sell rating on the stock. How dare they? We'll explain. And as we head out, another look at today's mystery chart. This stock hitting 100-year-old highs. Mm. Send in your guesses to the Fast Money team. You think you know who it is. Can't be too many companies. We're going to reveal the name coming up. All right, welcome back. Two analysts with two very different takes on Apple today. It is our dueling calls of the day. UBS raising its price target on Apple to 355 on optimism the company could sell 65 million iPhones this year. On the other side, Atlantic Equities downgrading Apple to underweight, fancy word for sell, saying the 5G revolution is already priced in. As of today's downgrade, more than 16% of analysts either have an underweight or sell rating on the stock. That's it. But that is the most bearish the stock or the street has ever been on Apple since 1997. Who might be right? Most of the bears or most of the bulls, the minority, Tim, of the bears? Well, I mean, it's who's been right to this point. And, and so clearly, in hindsight, um, the bulls were right. I'm not sure that the bulls uh, at the parabolic move that's been 90 percent of the stock uh, since June are, are necessarily in the right place to be upgrading aggressively. Um, I'm an investor. I'm an owner of Apple. Uh, I'm very impressed by things that people really talk about, which was at least your baseline. That was the capital allocation. That was the dividends. That was the buybacks. That was a balance sheet um, that 50 billion in free cash flow on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis. You could do a lot of good things with. Um, I think the re-rating that we talk about on this show um, that should not be necessarily pricing in 5G, which is an end of 2021 thing. Um, I think it's been more about services digital wearables. People are getting excited about the AirPods uh, and things that you can apparently not buy in stores. Yeah, That's so, the story. No, and I, I agree with Tim. And, you know, there are a lot of people say in this side of the desk, me specifically, you know, you missed the move. And yes, from 280 or so to current levels, 100 percent. But, you know, you go back to the spring and we talked about the pathway for the stock to get to $280. And we talked about giving a 19 multiple for next year's earnings, which are close to $15 a share. And that puts you there. This last... 12 to 15 percent is clearly caught me off guard, but it's much of what's going on with the rest of the broader market, indiscriminate buying. I think in this environment, and I'm not saying to go short it or to sell it necessarily, but I think you can make a pretty compelling argument that a retest of 280 is not that out of the question. What's, what's weird about it, BK, is that if I'm looking here on FactSet, 
there's about seven cells or underweights. The price targets go from 375 on the upside mm-hmm. to 150 on the downside. $225 difference in price right. target on Apple. This is not, we're not talking about a tech stock with the money losing. Right. It's a pretty company that gives solid guidance. They're never really far out of their range. How does Wall Street do that? <laughs> well, I mean, you have to, you, what you have to look at is what's priced into the stock. And I think that's what these two different analysts were getting at. Is 5G priced in or is it not? And to me, it's very helpful in these situations. Just look at the chart. The chart is straight up. It's parabolic. We've all alluded to it. I don't care if it's Apple or Bitcoin or the triple Qs in 1999-2000. When an asset goes straight up and goes parabolic, everything's priced in. And so for me, I'm an absolute seller of Apple at these levels. Maybe I miss it by 10 or 15%. Maybe there's a little bit more. But I'm taking profits all over the place if I was long. I'm I'm long, but I am nervous. I mean, they're going to report January 28th. We'll get a little bit of clarity. But this run-up into earnings, that bar is just getting higher and higher. It's going to be difficult for them to... How nervous are you? You want to buy protection or... I always like buying protection. Like on the markets (laughs) as a whole? Yeah. A little bit on Apple? Or sell some calls against it. Okay, good stuff there on Apple. $225 swing in the price. Target. But the volatility in, in the upsides, Brian, is part of that. I mean, there are folks that just haven't caught up. I mean, so I don't know how far back that 225 goes, but for a lot of people, um, it was only six months ago you could be way off sides on that. All right, good point, Tim, as always. All right, coming up, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's BK. Oh, oh, that's me. No, no, it's not. You're not flying. It's Bitcoin. Don't get all excited, Uh, big boy. I thought I was flying. Bitcoin is soaring today and this year. What's behind the move? Our very own crypto baller, a man who, with a cape, perhaps. Brian Kelly is here to break it down. And from crypto to cannabis, there is an under-the-radar rally happening right now. We'll discuss which names maybe buys for you. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. If you have been up and paying attention, Bitcoin has been going a bit bananas this year. The crypto is now up around 22% this year, inching closer to that, you know, 10,000 level that has not hit since September. BK, what is, I don't want to call it a comeback. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, it was cool the best. Don't, don't call it a comeback. But listen, Bitcoin been was. been here for years, but let's yeah. be clear. I mean, after this kind of drop, why the sudden reinterest? So, one, Bitcoin was the best performing asset last year. It was up over 80%. So, this is not really off a comeback. Off of a $20,000 peak. Yeah, off Back of a 70% to decline. Yes. Right. Well, it does yes. that every several years. So, I mean, if you, if you look at the markets, that's a very typical move for Bitcoin. So we're up 80-something percent last year. Momentum continues this year, up 22 percent. I talked back in December how the Bitcoin market, Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin, was mispricing the address growth. And so what you started to see is people kind of reprice the underlying fundamentals. Address growth was, which is the one fundamental I look at, was actually growing while the price was declining. That's a big buy signal. The exact opposite is happening right now. The Bitcoin price has got a little bit ahead of the address growth. So just like I said about Apple, just like I said about the triple Qs in 2000, when an asset goes straight up, that means a lot of the news is priced in. I think there's huge upside for Bitcoin, maybe just not tomorrow. Bitcoin being Bitcoin. It's like exactly. man being man. It's Bitcoin right. being Bitcoin. From crypto to the chronic. Big name pot stops like Acres, Tilray, and Aurora Cannabis feeling the burn over the past 12 months. But could a big turnaround here be in the works? Let's get the Frank Holland back at HQ with more on this sector. Frank. 
Hey there, Brian. You know, shares of Afria closing just down more than 8% after missing on EPS and revenue and lowering guidance, largely due to cannabis vaping products being temporarily banned in Quebec and Alberta. Those are two provinces that represent about a third of the population. Still, Afria's cannabis revenues, they increased by 9%, and it reported positive adjusted EBITDA for a third consecutive quarter. Encouraging signs leading to Jeffries to say that Afri is the top pick of those Canadian cannabis producers. Canacor rates it as overweight. Canner Fitzgerald as a speculative buy. After, uh, excuse me. During the day, the cannabis ETF MJ up more than two and a half percent. The sector falling more than 40 percent over the last year. So again, an encouraging sign today. The Canadian recreational market is projected to triple this year as vaping, edible, and drinkable products are on the shelves. Still, the industry faces two big issues that are actually pretty related. Competition with the black market. Those prices about 40% cheaper than legal recreational cannabis. Updated numbers are expected a week from today and will provide a lot of insight for investors. Also, store openings, another issue, especially in Ontario, where a third of Canadians live. Only 27 stores open right now. That could expand to as many as 250 by the end of the year. Still, the perception by company leaders and even analysts is there are just not enough stores to meet the demand up in Canada. Back over to you. All right, Frank Collin. Frank, thank you very much. All right, staying with cannabis, we spoke earlier today with the new Tilray CEO on Power Lunch. Here's where he's looking for the next leg of growth. There's a knowable global growth opportunity in terms of medical cannabis, uh, where we'll go from 20% of the countries to 40, 50, 60% of the countries in the world that legalize it. All right, before we go on, we just want to mention that Tim Seymour is all in on this space. He has long a number of names. He's a portfolio manager for Cannabis ETF, also sits on advisory boards for cannabis companies. And for all Tim's disclosures, you can get a fast.cnbc.com. All right, what's your take on Tilray and maybe what you heard from the new CEO? So the Tilray story is they're moving in CPG, consumer packaged goods, veterans, uh, 25-year Revlon veteran, folks that have come from Crocs and other places, um, into the C-suite. Make no mistake, cannabis is just a a CPG story in disguise. It doesn't matter the underlying on some level. This is going to be about distribution. It's going to be about branding. It's going to be about all the things that some of the best consumer product companies in the world do. So that's where Tilray is positioning themselves. The good news here is that if you're thinking about the top uh, kind of macro story, the addressable market in, in cannabis is, is growing. This is the good news. You may not get federal legalization uh, in 2020, but look what happened with Illinois. They went full adult as of Jan 1. This has been an off-the-chart the success. Uh, Cuomo last week made it very clear that New York wants to be fully adult by the end of 2020. That will have the entire East Coast ready to roll. The country state by state is, is moving to a, a, an entire open market, even if the federal swung by. Bottom line, Brian, valuations didn't make sense a year ago. A lot of them still don't now, but you're seeing very clear separations. You can play relative value. You can pick winners here, and that's what the market's doing right now. So what's interesting, you're also starting to see, and this is not to say that these are all speculative, but the market, this, the, the cannabis stocks were a speculative part of the market. And so you're starting to see people selectively come in this. So to the extent that this is an extension of everything that's going on in the market, it looks like people have come in here and said, you know what, we're going to pick the top two or three and play this for another run. All right. Good stuff there, guys. Thank you. Up next. We're going to reveal today's mystery chart, Mm. the century-old company hitting Mm. an all-time 100-year high today. That name ahead. And check out our Mm. Kramer cam. Jim is live again from San Francisco, and he is sitting down with the CEO of Medtronic. Be sure to catch a special West Coast edition of Mad Money coming up at the top of the hour. In the meantime, Fast Money is back right after this. 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Trade will be front and center for the markets tomorrow because, remember, the U.S. and China are set to sign phase one of that trade deal. So how are options traders positioning themselves ahead of that big event? Let's find out. Get the Mike Coe, who's in San Francisco, with your options action. Hey there. So, yeah, I was taking a look at FXI, which is the iShares China large cap ETF. That was trading five times as many puts as calls today. So we definitely were seeing some bearish activity there. The most notable trade that I saw was a January 2021 40-52 collar. So in this trade, the trader was buying the 40 strike puts that expire in January of 2021 and selling the 52 calls. That took place 1,500 times. So that's a hedge for 150,000 shares worth of FXI. And they spent 87 cents a share to put that trade on. So that trade gives them insurance should FXI drop more than 11% by one year from today, essentially, and still gives them upside for about 16%. However, I would point out that in the short term, just looking ahead to the trade talks, what this really is going to be doing is reducing their exposure to FXI by about 50%. So basically, they're looking to hedge their bets, but still maintaining a modestly long position. And if you look at the implied volatility for options in FXI, one of the things you're going to see is that while they have risen somewhat over the course of this month, they are still well below the one-year average. So I would suggest that options traders still remain pretty sanguine right now. What's it going to take, Mike? I mean, Iran, the trade deal... Brexit, all the stuff. What's it going to take to get some volatility back in some of this pricing? Well, you know what's it really going to take, of course, is going to be volatility in equities generally. And that's what we haven't really seen. If you take a look at the VIX, you could see that was very low today. And why is that? The S&P just hasn't been moving around that much lately. And that's one of the things. The cost of insurance goes down when people don't see the risk. The risk is going to be exposed when you start seeing 1% plus moves on a daily basis. And we haven't been seeing that. Okay. Mike Coe, thank you very much. And as a reminder, you can see Mike and the gang on Options Action every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, up next, get ready to smile. That's a clue for your mystery chart, 100-year highs, plus your final trades. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time to reveal our mystery chart, the stock IPO in 1919. Record out today, Tim Seymour got in the break. It is Coca-Cola. Boom. All right, final trades, Tim. You can buy Coca-Cola in Russia. RSX actually to all-time highs. Ruble is your friend. Wow, okay. You know what's interesting here? The copper market looks pretty interesting. FCX is one way to play that. Yes. Selling some upside Apple calls, as we discussed earlier in the show. I think taking some big volatility and you get to play for earnings. February. Got the debate tonight. UNH reports tomorrow before the bell by UNH post-earnings release. All right, great show as always. We'll see you tomorrow night. A big West Coast Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.